Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be reading this morning. So good to see you today. And uh, let's stand together. And we're just going to read a few verses from the Word of God. Matthew, or Mark chapter 8 and verse 31 is where we'll begin reading. You'll remember maybe last time we talked about this great confession. I'll talk about this another, a bit later on in the message that Peter made when Jesus asked the question, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, and some said Esaias, and Matthew said, Some say Jeremiah. And then Jesus said, But whom say ye that I am? He said it to the group of the apostles. And Peter answered, of course, and said, Thou art the Christ. And that was the lesson last time. And that brings us to verse 31. And he began to teach them. Now this was not when he began to teach them anything. He had been teaching them at this point about three years. But he began to teach them something that he had not revealed in the way that he's about to reveal it. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He began to teach them that. Verse 32 says, And spake, he spake that saying openly. He wasn't just saying it to them. He was saying it publicly. In the middle of verse 32 it says, And Peter took him, took Jesus, and began to rebuke him. Peter, imagine this, began to rebuke Jesus. Verse 33 says, But when he had turned about, when Jesus had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, and this will be the title of our message today, Get thee behind me, Satan. He rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Now, to me, just reading this, there's a certain amount of drama in this moment, right? This was a dramatic occasion, a dramatic exchange, and a powerful lesson. We're going we're gonna to spend our morning on this subject today, but one of the questions I'd like to, to ponder before we pray is this. Notice what, what he said to Peter in verse 31. Get thee behind me, Satan. And we're going to try to look at that together and see what that might mean to us. But when he spoke to Peter, he was addressing Satan, right? Why? Because these words that Peter said didn't originate with Peter. They were actually the thoughts that, that Satan had. And the question is, if Satan could use Peter... Now, do you think about this today? If Satan could use Peter to express his satanic opinion, I wonder if he couldn't use us sometimes to do the same thing. I'm not talking about being possessed with the devil. I'm talking about the devil using us as his instruments. What Peter said was wrong. 
We'll see that in the scripture. And it was very serious. It wasn't just a minor slip of the tongue. It was something very serious. And so let's pray and ask God to help us as we study this this morning. Father, we do need your help. We pray for it today. Open our eyes. Help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law. May we take to heart the word of God. May we receive it in sincerity and humility. And may your word work in our lives. And for those who are here today, Father, who are unsaved, I pray that the Spirit of God would especially work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, This was a major turning point. What we read here today, this period of time, Jesus had just spoken to the apostles on the way around the area in the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And this is a major turning point in Jesus' ministry. From this point on, in just a matter of months, Jesus would enter Jerusalem and be crucified. He's preparing his disciples for his final days and for his departure. I believe these two lessons, last week's and this week's, are connected because it was in this conversation that he introduced this question about his identity. And of course, Peter gave this great confession, Thou art the Christ. It was imperative. I think it was strategic. Before he got to the, before he revealed what his ultimate sacrifice would be, that they understood who he was. So as soon as he nailed that down, and they nailed that down, then he tells them what's going to happen in the future. Now, Jesus kind of alluded to this other times, but never so directly. He told them what the coming days would be in verse 31. He said he would suffer many things. And of course, most of us realize that the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. They just wasn't looking for him to come in the way that Jesus came. They were looking for him to come reigning as a king. A person to come in great glory, and Jesus will come back in great glory, and he will reign as a king, but they weren't looking for him as a servant. They weren't looking at him in the humble manner in which he came. And now he's, they're telling, he's telling them, we're gonna, he, I'm going to suffer, gentlemen, I'm going to suffer many things, and, notice this, be rejected of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. That's the official, the official representation of Israel's Religion. They're going to reject me. Now they'd already, they'd already been attacking him verbally. They'd already been scheming to take his life. But he tells them, this is not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. They're going to reject me. And, verse 31, I'm going to be killed. And after three days, rise again. He was teaching them. I have those words in verse 31 circled. He began. He began teaching them. Something they'd never heard before, like this. It's a summary of the last days of his earthly ministry. Imagine how it must have been taken. Imagine how the disciples must have received this. It was, it was shocking, I'm sure. And Peter is the one, is often the case, that spoke up in verse 32. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. That, that phrase, took him, is an interesting phrase. It could mean that he took him away. I don't think this is what he did, but it, it, the word means he, it could, he could have taken him away by himself. But I think what he did was he actually took him. 
It's like, like Peter was so shocked, he was so stunned, that he's like he took Jesus and said, this is not going to happen. He rebuked Jesus because he could not digest what Jesus was saying. And his immediate response, according to the Bible, was to rebuke him. Matthew records these words as Matthew gave us his uh, expression of what transpired here. Matthew said that Peter said these words, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Jesus said, I'm going, to be, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. Peter took him and says, this shall not be. We're not going to let this happen. We'll never allow this to happen. Now, just think about it for a moment. On an emotional level, I can imagine how Peter must have felt. I mean, this, this removed any doubts about what the future held. Any, any idea they had that he was going to occupy the throne and take over the kingdom and put down Roman rule, those, dash, those were dashed. So on an emotional level, it stunned these, this inner circle of Jesus. It wasn't what they wanted to see happen. It wasn't what they were expecting to see happen. It wasn't what they were prepared for happening. And Peter's reaction was to basically tell Jesus, you're wrong. You may be saying this, but we're not going to let it happen. On a spiritual level, though, this is much more serious. Because Peter wasn't just expressing dismay at what Jesus said. Peter was disagreeing and contradicting what Jesus said. He wasn't just bewildered by it, he was opposing it. If you look in verse 31, you see this word. It says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, here's the word, must. That's an important word. He didn't say this might happen, this could happen, be prepared for this in case it happens. No, he said this must happen. This must take place. It's, it's not an option. It's essential. Jesus said it is a must. It's an essential. It's required it's determined. And Peter said, no. No. I won't go along with this. And so what did Jesus do? In verse 33, the Bible says, he rebuked Peter. He rebuked Peter, saying these words. He, did, he, wasn't, he wasn't evasive about this. There wasn't no ambiguity about this. He looked... He looked at those disciples and he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. This was the work of Satan. Are you on board so far? Peter, what Peter was saying was the work of Satan. So to me, the gravity of this, this public rebuke is obvious. Jesus couldn't let it slide. I'm sure they said a lot of things at times that Jesus let slide, but he couldn't let this slide. So we will, we will spend our time this morning just evaluating and looking at this powerful exchange. Why did Jesus address Peter's rebuke by speaking to Satan? 
I mean, is it possible, as I said earlier, that the words that came out of Peter's mouth didn't originate with Peter? Where did they come from? They, ex- they weren't just expressing Peter's opinion. They were expressing Satan's objection to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be de- killed, I'm going to rise again. And he said, no way. I mean, it could be that these were actually Satan's words. That's a very serious thing to consider, don't you think? What if you could say something? Expressing something. Something to your husband, something to your wife, something to your mom or dad, something to a child, something. What if you could say something, and in reality, whether you realize it or not, what you were doing was expressing not just your opinion, but Satan's opinion. As well, and that's exactly what's happening in our in our lesson today. That's a very serious thing, and I'm imagining how Peter must have felt by Jesus' response in saying that, not just saying, "Peter, you did it again." He could have said that, "Peter, you did it again. You have this a serious um, case of the hoof and mouth disease." He could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't, even, he, didn't even, he didn't even call Peter's name out. He just looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. One of the things that makes this even more interesting to me is that Peter had just made this great confession. Right? When, when, when Jesus asked, whom do men say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ. And it's not in Mark's gospel, it's in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, thou art the Christ... Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but your Father which is in heaven. In other words, you're speaking the words of God. God gave you this truth. He makes His great confession. Thou art the Christ, speaking the words of God. And now He makes another confession. Will not let this happen, speaking the words of Satan. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the next thing we know after he made this profound declaration, he's actually speaking the words of Satan. Now, it might be possible for us to sit here and think, well, man, what a dummy. That never happened to me. And I would say, what a dummy. But I wouldn't say that would never happen to me. Because if it's true of Peter, it could be true of us. We can speak words that come from God, but we can also speak words that come from Satan. That may seem like a kind of a bold statement, but we're going to talk about it a little more. Notice if you would in verse 33, where Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Now, one thing is in a general sense that we have here is Peter had a lack of discernment, right? He didn't, he didn't have discernment. He was saying what came to his mind. He was saying what he thought. But he, he was speaking out of a lack of discernment. But the word, if you look at the word savorist in verse 33, that's a very key word. It's a word we don't use often in the way that it's used here. But the word savorist means to... Exercise the mind or entertain an opinion. So when he says, thou savorest not, he says, you're not thinking like 
you should be thinking, basically. Look at it in verse 33. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. You're not thinking, you're not, you're not mindful like God would be, but the things that be of man. Basically saying, you're thinking the wrong way. Thou savorest not the things that be of God. And by the way, because he was thinking the wrong way, he said the wrong thing. Because he was thinking, I can't let this happen, he spoke that. When he, he, because he was thinking, I don't think that's right, he said that. But what was he doing? Peter was thinking like a man. But he wasn't thinking like God would have him to think. And again, I make personal application. How many times could that be said of us? How, how, many, how many times could we see where our thinking is more like a man thinks than what God thinks? You know, the Bible says we're to have the mind of Christ, right? Right? That's, that's what God wants. He wants us to let this mind be in you. Philippians chapter. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. F- think on these things. We're to, we're to th- our thinking should be in line with God's thinking. Right? And, and, and for our carnal minds, that's a great transformation. And to begin to think not just what we naturally think, but think how God would have us to think. So, so Jesus not only called out Peter for what he said, but he goes a little back further and he called out Peter for what he was thinking, the way he was thinking. So let's think about this matter of Peter confessing words that were in agreement with Satan because he was thinking thoughts that were in agreement with Satan. By the way, if we're ever going to fix our words, we have to fix our thinking. Satan was actually using Peter to do his bidding. Look with me, if you would, please, in verse 31. I know we've read it several times, but I want to read it again. It says in verse 31, And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. I read that another time to emphasize this point. Peter had heard God's truth. He heard what God said. He heard God's opinion. This is what, Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. But you know what he did? He rejected it. Now, it'd be, it would be worth our while just to pause there for a moment. He heard God's truth, but he rejected God's truth and held on to his own belief. And because he was thinking it, that I, I heard what you said, but that, I'm not going to let that happen. We can't let that happen because he was thinking it, he, he spoke it. And... And here's what Peter was doing. He was taking, Jesus gives him this message of truth. Gentlemen, this is what's going to happen. And yet Peter had another idea, and he believed this conflicting report more than he believed what Jesus said. Are you with me? That's a pretty serious thing. Jesus knew that Peter's words were not just negative. He knew that they were demonically inspired. 
It's interesting, in Matthew's gospel, there's one other phrase that's not in Mark's gospel. I just want to quote it to you. In Matthew's gospel, it says this. He said this to Peter, Thou art an offense to me. Peter, you're an offense to me. And the word offense is an interesting word. It's a stumbling block. It's someone would make a... It's actually, the word offense is like a trap stick on a trap. A stick that we would... You'd break the trap and catch something. And you know what he said to Peter? He said, You're, Satan is using you to try to offend me. That's a, that's a horrible thing to say, and that's a serious thing to say, but that's exactly what was happening. These words spoken by Peter were an attempt for Satan to entice Jesus. Why, did, why? why would try to Jesus, uh, Satan try to entice it? Because he said, I'm going to die. I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to Jerusalem. I want to suffer and die. I want to be crucified. Satan didn't want that to happen because it's through the death of Christ that salvation comes and victory comes. And Peter says, we're not going to let that happen. Who's Peter taking sides with? He's taking sides with Satan. You're an offense to me. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about uh, the difference in misinformation and disinformation. Information with the prefix mis. Misinformation is false information. We get that a lot. It's called fake news. Misinformation is false information. Disinformation is false information given with the intent of deceiving. We're giving that a lot too in the news. It's not, just, it's not just that it's false, but it's false with the intention of deceiving. And that's really how Satan was working through Peter. And that's the way the devil can work through people, other people. Peter, went, this is not, Peter was not the first or the last for this to happen to. People say things, they don't really understand what's going on, but Satan is getting them to say things for the purpose of deceiving or hurting the cause of Christ. And Jesus recognized that. These words are not from God. Now, I don't want to confuse you. I don't want to complicate things. But everything we say, whether we realize or not, it comes because we thought about it. And we ought to ask ourselves, where do these ideas come from? And, and that's exactly what Peter failed to recognize. And so Jesus just openly rebuked him, get thee behind me. So let's take the last moments that we have today and let's, let's try to learn some things from Peter's mistake. First of all, again, just in repetition, in verse 31, Peter was exposed to the truth. He couldn't say, he couldn't say I didn't know any better. He couldn't say no one ever. No, he knew what the truth was. And by the way, what is the source of truth? The source of truth is not my opinions. It's not what I want. It's not what I presume. It's not what I prefer. The source of truth is God's Word. And anything I think or say that contradicts God's Word is a lie. What God says, is, what God says about anything is truth. What God says about creation is truth. Anyone who says anything other than that, what God says is speaking a lie. What God says about salvation is truth. Any, any alteration to that is a lie. 
And we can apply this to any area of our life, what God says about marriage, what God says about training our children. You know, I've heard people say, it's been a long time since I heard anyone say this, but I've heard people say, well, I love my child too much to correct them. Now, you know what? They think that. But where did they get that? They didn't get it from God. God says it's because we love our children that we correct them. People speak things because they think things, but where are they getting that information they're not getting from? You didn't, they, you, no one ever got that information from God. What God says about obedience to authority is clear in the Bible. What God says about stewardship is clear in the Bible. I've had people say to me, I can't afford to give. Now that may make sense to them, but it contradicts what God says. What God says is give, and it shall be given unto you. And if a person says something contrary to what God says, they're speaking a lie. This is how Satan works. And Peter believed Satan's conflicting opinion over truth. Now, young person, hear me today. This, this may be hard to take, but anytime we believe anything other than what God says, we're believing a lie. By the way, how common is that? Pretty common. And it's pretty serious. And taking what we've heard so far, you could come to this conclusion. When we, like Peter, argue with God and disagree with God's Word, we open the door to believing Satan's lies. And that's where a lot of people are. They sincerely believe something. You can be sincerely wrong. I don't think there's any more important application of this than in the message of the gospel. If you reject the truth of the gospel, if you reject what God says about the gospel, there are eternal consequences for that. You might say, well, how could a person disbelieve something about the gospel? Easy. For instance, some people think that they're not really as guilty sinners like God says they are. Well, you're, you're, you believe that. You're rejecting the truth. You're believing a lie, and that lie will send you to hell. Some people believe that salvation depends on their good deeds. Some people believe that salvation is not good enough. You've got to get baptized in order to be saved. All those are contradictions to what the Bible says about the gospel. If a person says, well, I'm just too wicked to be saved, you may believe that, but it's not true. If a person says, well, I don't want to get saved now, but I'll get saved when I get ready, you're believing something that's not true. You don't decide when you get saved. You get saved when God's dealing with your heart. And so, anytime you believe something in your mind, or we believe something in our mind that contradicts what God says, we're believing a lie. That's why it's so important that we recognize the words or the thoughts or the messages that don't agree with God's truth. And we don't just recognize it in other people's lives, we recognize it in our own lives. When we think something that contradicts God's truth, we need to recognize that. And by the way, how do you recognize error? By comparing it to the truth. That's how you recognize what's false, by comparing to what's true. The more we know that's true, the more we ought to recognize God's lies. And this has always been Satan's ploy is to offer an opinion other than God's truth, but substitute it for God's truth. 
So Peter thought this. We can't let Jesus die. We're not going to permit it. He does the same thing to us. When God's truth says this, we say, oh, but I can't do this, or I won't do this, or I don't think I... No, we have to say what God says. By the way, we ought to think about this today, and I won't spend much time on this, but we ought to ask ourselves, where do my, where do my ideas come from? Does it come from God? By the way, we can't have thoughts that come from God, right? He can show us things, direct us things. Does it come from Satan? If it contradicts God's truth, it comes from Satan. You know, some, if you're looking for Satan to make himself known by some, you know, this red creature with a forked tail and a pitchfork, he doesn't come around like that. Sometimes he comes, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said that he's like, false prophets are like disguised, they're deceivers. And a lot of people, you know how you can call out a false prophet? I don't care how popular they are, but what they say, does it line up with the Word of God? But Peter wasn't just confessing something that was supernaturally evil. I think this is worth mentioning. Peter was saying something that was natural. The natural mind. That's why Jesus said this in verse 33. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. You're thinking like a man. So you can sit here and say, well, that's not that big a deal, is it? Jesus said he was confessing making a confession that was an agreement with Satan himself. These words that were thinking like a man were originating from Satan. Here's the point. Satan uses natural thoughts. Natural thoughts. It's like it'd be like a young person saying, well, I, you know, I know my mom or dad said to do this, but in my mind, I think it'd be better to do this. So we're, in our natural mind, we're saying things, but they're completely contradictory. To what God says. Let's, let's use Job's wife for an example. Job's wife, when Job had gone through all these losses and all these trials, she said this, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, you know what, that's a natural thought, right? God's not been good, God let this happen. Why don't you just curse God and die? It may be a natural thought, but it's not God's thought. I'm sure she was expressing, really, the, the sentiment of Satan himself. Why don't, you, why don't you just turn and curse God? What should we do when our thoughts or our words don't agree with the truth? What should we do? First of all, we have to recognize them. We have to recognize them. If the thought comes into my mind that God is not good or God is not fair or God doesn't care or God doesn't love me or God's unjust, if that thought comes into my mind, it's my job to recognize that is not a godly thought. I may not understand what God's doing. I may have done it differently, but God is always good and he's always wise. So we have to recognize it. And second of all, we have to judge it. We have to judge it and say, stop thinking. That's, that's stinking thinking. And reject it. One of my favorite verses that apply to this is found in Psalm 19. 
The 19th Psalm begins with those words, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show this handiwork. But later in the verse it says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The meditation of my heart is what I think. The words of my mouth are what I say. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Let what I think and what I say be pleasing to God. As I look at this passage today, I just want us to think about how our ill-advised words can do damage to others. And how other people's ill-advised words can do damage to us. You know, could it be... And, you know, we have this tendency, I think. I'm going to back up a little bit. We have this tendency. We look at what Peter did and say, Peter, why? You ought to know better than that. And fail to recognize that sometimes we do the very same thing. Your words to your husband, your words to your wife, your words to your children... Your words to your parents, your words to a friend. What if they were inspired by the devil himself to hurt, to hinder, to damage, to cause pain, to, to negatively affect the work of God? And I want to say to you today that if it could happen to Peter, it could happen to any of us. That's why. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus admonished them not to use words that would tear down, but words that would build up. You know, whoever coined the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, didn't know what they were talking about. Words can be very harmful. Jesus gives us an example of how we can hear something and we ought to recognize this didn't come from God. This came from another source. Now, I'm not recommending that you say to your mom next time she speaks out of turn, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) But it is good to recognize when you hear something in your mind or from someone else. This is God's way of helping me. Have you ever heard? This has happened to you. I kind of got off track a little bit, but this has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to me. Sometimes somebody will just say something to you, and when they said it, you, you thought, you know, God sent them to say this because it really did help me. And they probably didn't even know what they said or how they said it. But by the same token, we recognize that sometimes words are not of God. That's why we don't take them we ought to take them into heart. We don't want to believe things that aren't true, not believe things that God didn't say. So, to me, it's a great lesson in the life of Peter that we can learn. And I hope you'll take it to heart today. I hope you'll think this morning about this very serious matter. We all say things we wish we wouldn't have said. We all do things we wish we wouldn't have done. But we need to take our words seriously. And we shouldn't say things 
that aren't in line with what God says. And when we do, we need to recognize it and judge it in our own heart. And if you're sitting here today and you're not saved, and you, and you have these opinions about salvation, or when you're going to get saved, how you're going to get saved, why you don't get saved, and they make sense to you, I'm just going to, I want to remind you, if they don't line up with the Bible, they're lies. You know what the Bible says? Now is accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Don't put off till tomorrow what you know you ought to do today. If you're here today and you're not saved, you ought to come to Christ today.